Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Last week, Germany's foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, traveled to Greece and Turkey, where she took a clear stance against Turkish revisionism in the region, stating in unequivocal terms that the sovereignty of Greece's islands are not up for dispute. While in Turkey, she also made a point to raise issues related to human rights violations. These clear statements mark a shift in Berlin's traditional policy that saw it maintain equal distances between Greece and Turkey and limit its criticism of Ankara's track record on human rights and rule of law. Kostandinos Filis, the director of the Institute of Global Affairs and an associate professor of international relations at the American College of Greece, joins me to discuss whether we are at the beginning of a fundamental shift in Germany's foreign policy when it comes to Turkey, and look at what this could mean for Greece. Kostandine, welcome back on The Greek Current. Great to find you again, Thanos. On her recent trip to Greece and Turkey, German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbach made Berlin's opinions clear when it comes to Turkey's aggressive foreign policy in the Aegean. Did this come as a surprise considering Germany's traditional policy of equal distances between Greece and Turkey? The German foreign minister's two-stop visit to Athens and Ankara confirmed the balanced stance Germany traditionally maintains, but there also seems to be a perceptible shift towards Greece's positions compared to how things stood in the Merkel era, a shift that derives not only from Germany's trying to find its footing in the wake of the war in Ukraine, but also from Erdogan's actions, which don't sit well with a portion of the German people, and the country's more progressive governing coalition. It is clear to me, Thanos, that Berlin finds itself overall in a transitional period and wanting to reaffirm its role as the leading European power. It is trying to adopt a new overall strategy in regions of interest for the European Union. And this new German strategic compass presupposes recognition and addressing of regional realities rather than hiding one's head in the sand, as the Merkel government did. Germany of the recent past mishandled multiple crises that arose and that impacted Europe, initially the economic crisis, then the migration crisis, and later the pandemic. And the relatively new German government of uh, sorts, which has so far kept a low profile and is paying domestically for its indecisiveness, seems to have started to understand the magnitude of the problem caused by the strategic inertia of the previous era. So it would be no exaggeration to say that against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine, Germany is experiencing a kind of memorial with repercussions for its economy, enterprises and households, repercussions that are nevertheless remarkable by German standards. While Baerbach not only slammed Turkey for questioning the sovereignty of Greek islands, she also spoke clearly while in Turkey about rule of law and human rights issues. Is this really the beginning of a fundamental shift in German foreign policy here? Maybe one that could include values at its core? Well, let me remind you that Baerbock, as the head of the Greens, criticized Turkey harshly when in the opposition. And while she obviously couldn't maintain that tone as foreign minister, it's clear to me that she hasn't backed down on the issues of human rights and rule of law. This sort of thing bothers Turkey, whatever the source. And Savusoglu adopted the well-known bully stance during her visit. The only serious perspective we can invest in is the enrichment of Berlin's policy of appeasement towards Ankara with great doses of principle policy, like the one invoked last Friday by Baerbock in Turkey, which didn't happen so emphatically in the previous years under Merkel. A policy of principles that not only facilitates transactional diplomacy, which has been the case, but adds a principle, and not just to do with democracy, rule of law, and human rights. The policy of principles also has to address, and we have to make it address, Turkey's conduct towards other member states, such as Greece and Cyprus. And a very good argument for supporting our position 
is everything that's happening in Ukraine and that Germany, through the policy it has followed throughout recent years and the heavy interdependence with Moscow that it created, nurtured the Russian bear. Sadina, you know, while Germany's foreign minister slammed Turkey's revisionism in the Aegean, Berlin is still working with Ankara to sell the latter six submarines, a move that Athens has warned could shift the balance in the region. Is this a clear example that there are still serious limitations to Berlin's policy shift vis-a-vis Turkey? Regarding arms, Thanos, the Greens, again, when they were in opposition, asked, along with the Linke, for the blocking of the sale of submarines to Turkey. But since they joined the government, they've made no reference to it. If we want to be realistic, Germany is not prepared, for now at least, to back out of the sale of six submarines to Turkey. Major interests are at stake. These are German shipbuilding contracts. Ankara is a very good customer, and no one else has shown any interest in buying the subs. Beyond that, the Turkish community in Germany, numbering some 3.5 to 4 million people, many of whom now vote, the large number of German companies with operations in Turkey with a large employment footprint, defense cooperation, and of course the migration issue, due to which Berlin, since 2015, has been even more hesitant with regard to Ankara. So let's not operate under the illusion that there will be a radical shift in German policy towards Turkey. But the Greek side has two advantages here. Following the shock wave generated by the war in Ukraine, Westerners are now more sensitive to issues of border protection and territorial integrity. And Turkey's aggressiveness is helping them realize that Greece is the border of Europe in a critique neighborhood for the European Union. And at the same time, the failure to bring Russian revisionism into line is causing countries like the US and potentially Germany in the future to have second thoughts about the extent to which selling weapon systems to Turkey an equally revisionist power which would disrupt the balance of power with Greece, could bring results like what we've seen in Ukraine. The American side has already seen the need to maintain the balance of power in the Aegean, which started with Turkey's procurement of Russian S-400s. Let's hope that Berlin, too, realizes that arming a revisionist power could destabilize the Aegean in the eastern Mediterranean, because Ankara, despite its claims to the contrary, is not arming solely to face threats from the east, or terrorism, or to block Russia and Iran, with which it has found the modus operandi and strategic understanding, but mainly to impose its desires on Greece and Cyprus through the threat of force, should it get these weapons. Professor Felix, you've laid out how Russia's invasion of Ukraine has woken Europe up to the dangers of revisionist powers, drawing this parallel between Turkey's behavior and Russia's behavior. Is there also a parallel here between the two leaders, Putin and Erdogan, that the West should be paying attention to? Certainly, the similarities in their conduct, both domestically and abroad, are clear and obvious. In fact, I would say that Erdogan admires and even envies the suppression the Russian president has achieved at home, and now he has achieved it, seeing that in spite of the highly centralized presidential system he has created, which of course has ended up being sluggish, hyper-bureaucratic and inefficient, he cannot precisely replicate Putin's suppression of every voice of opposition. The similarities between the two include demonization of any voice opposed to the regimes, control of the media, and lack of freedom to express different views, and mainly identification of their person with the state. As a result, anyone who opposes the leader is seen as essentially an enemy of the state because in the current context, the leader is the only one who knows what's good for the country. And obviously, such outlooks are very dangerous in the 21st century, leading down authoritarian paths and calling into question the liberal world order that was saved following the Cold War. Besides, Russia and Turkey are both revisionist powers that think 
that the gap left by the U.S. withdrawal from various points on the globe enables them to project their power aggressively and pursue change in the existing status quo in favor of their interests, especially in neighboring regions. In the same way, both leaders invoke their country's past empires, spheres of influence they once had, giving people the sense that they are conversing with history. And as we have said in previous discussions, the latter, due to the introduction of the human factor and matters of human legacy, is the most dangerous. While the West is becoming keenly aware, as you've mentioned, of Turkey's revisionism and is speaking more clearly about it and about defending fundamental Western values, how can this translate into pressure on Ankara to change its behavior? Well, Thanos, we soon expect uh, miracles. However, in a fluid geopolitical situation and under conditions of intense confrontation that are not just horizontal, in other words, between the West and the East, but also vertical between the North and the South, if the West wants to create a range of influence and impact on developments stretching from the Atlantic to the Indian Ocean, it needs to ensure stability in two subsystems, those of Southeastern Europe and the Eastern Mediterranean and the wider Middle East. Turkey is certainly an important country for the Western camp, and Greece has an interest in the normalization of Turkey and its transformation into a reliable partner with which it can settle the dispute over the exclusive economic zone and continental self through a defined negotiation process or recourse to the International Court in The Hague. But Greece cannot negotiate, and let me stress that. And there is no point in the exploratory talks, which are an anteroom to dialogue, with a country with Turkey's current characteristics. No one can enter into dialogue with a state that questions their sovereignty, that demands the demilitarization of areas that would then be unfortified and vulnerable to attack, and that has a casus belli, in effect, that deprives them of the exercise of their legal sovereign rights. For precisely this reason, the West's immediate goal must be to stave off any incidents in crisis that the current Turkish leadership would like to provoke with Greece and Cyprus ahead of the upcoming elections in Turkey. And after those elections, the West would need to endeavor under certain terms, to transform Turkey into a state that rejects its revisionism and will be able to talk to and reach understandings with its neighbors and the states in the wider region. The example of Russia and the policy of appeasement employed against this country by states like Germany must serve as a lesson for the West as a whole. Turkey must not be marginalized, but it does have to adopt conduct and methods that are commonly accepted by the other regional actors. Wrapping up, you know, what should the main takeaways be for Athens following Baerbach's visit to both Greece and Turkey? And how can Greece build on this small but important shift that we're seeing in Germany's position vis-à-vis Ankara? There were three positive takeaways from her visit to Athens. The reference to Greek sovereignty over the islands, which is self-evident but nevertheless important, and the support against Turkey without caveats. The fact that she talked about solidarity, which Germany had not shown with recent past times of crisis, like the debt crisis, migration, and vis-à-vis Turkey. And it's also worth highlighting that Turkish and Greek diplomacy has started to produce a positive result for us. Foreign officials, including Berbuk, have started to see the similarity between the Turkish and Russian stances. And this gives Greece an important argument. Every time Turkey makes a revisionist move against us, we can compare its conduct with everything Putin is doing in Ukraine, making our argument easier for our partners to understand. Under the right conditions, this could lead to our partners adopting another stance on the matter of arming Turkey. And we can make two observations regarding the initial reactions of Germany to its foreign minister's visit to Greece and Turkey. First, we will have to do a lot of systematic work to firm up the German chains in stance and mainly to ensure 
that Greece's positions are taken seriously in the new German foreign policy doctrine that is being formulated. And second, the more conservative forces in Germany continue to support Turkey for electoral and historical reasons, while more progressive forces see the need for Turkey to change not only its conduct, but also its approach to rule of law, human rights, and the freedom of the press and expression. Professor Filis, thanks for joining us on The Greek Kern again. Always great speaking with you. Great speaking to you, Thanos, and thanks once again for your kind invitation. In other news, Turkey said it expects the first shipment of Ukrainian grain since Russia launched its invasion to arrive off its coast early Wednesday. The Sierra Leone-flagged cargo ship is on its way from the Ukrainian port of Odessa to Lebanon with more than 26,000 tons of corn on board. It will first make its stop in Istanbul, where personnel from a special joint coordination center will expect the ship to make sure it is not carrying weapons or other non-food items under the terms of an agreement reached in late July to resume Ukrainian grain exports amid a global food crisis. It is hoped the agreement will ease the global food crisis and lower the price of grain. The deal is set to last 120 days, and it can be renewed if both parties agree. Finally, the Abdul Hamid Han, Turkey's newest drilling vessel, will begin its first so-called research trip on August 9th from the country's southern port of Mersin. President Erdogan himself will announce the drilling vessel's destination in a ceremony before the sailing. But, as Kathy Medini reports, it is no secret the ship will drill for oil and natural gas reserves north of Cyprus. This is less a research project and more a part of Turkey's strategy to dispute Cyprus and Greece's continental shelves and exclusive economic zones. But, according to Kathy Medini, Turkey is not expected to ratchet up the tensions to levels seen in the Aegean in the summer of 2020, as U.S. officials have warned it to keep tensions under control. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.